Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. I'd like to invite you please to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the New Testament writing of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse 12. As you're turning here in this room, I invite the rest of our church family and the Family Life Center to turn as well, as well as those who are part of our extended family watching online. We encourage you to, to dial in and tune into this conversation that's unfolding. Now listen to this gorgeous passage of Scripture, as it meets any of us, really, where we are, regardless of where we are this day. As God's chosen ones holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if any has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the reading of the sacred word. It's reliable and it can be trusted. Will you pray with me? God, we recognize that These words that rise from these pages are more than just ink on paper. We recognize as we surround this wisdom that they call us to something deep. And your spirit is the one who may open our minds and open our hearts to to receive what we've heard. We recognize, O Lord, that you are the word of God. You. And we pray that somehow... The word of you will dwell richly in us to the extent that none of us can can leave this place the same way we came. So speak to us now, for we really are listening. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. So today I am excited to begin part three of our ongoing series now called The Fam. We've been trying to spend some time talking about some very real issues that real families face, really. 
And over the course of these three weeks, the first week, two weeks ago, we talked about dysfunctional families. And, and I made the argument that, listen, it's in the very heart of the dysfunction in our families where God can be glorified the most. In those places where we are weak or embarrassed or uh, perhaps even a little ashamed, in those places God can do what only God can do and can bring glory to himself through you. Last week on Mother's Day, we talked about helping mom by uh, keeping mom from losing her marbles. And last week, we talked about a shift from scarcity-minded relationships where we assume, oh, I'm running out of time, I'm running out of ideas, I'm running out of patience, to an abundance-minded relationship where we recognize that from places hidden, the depths of who we are, there's, there's an eternal resource of patience, grace, love, strength, beauty, capacity. And if we can tap into that, then we will remain, remain steady and confident in all of our relationships with children or, or otherwise. But today I want to talk very specifically about dealing with difficult relationships in the family. Now the reason I want to talk about difficult relationships in the family is because we've all got them. We all know somebody with whom doing life is a little more challenging than it is with others. I mean, you know what the real miracle of the family is? It's not surprising that families fall apart. What's surprising is that any of us ever stay together. Do you realize what it takes for two family systems to merge together in one common union? Whole systems of history and behavior and practice and tradition now coming together with every marriage. And there will constantly, obviously, be moments where you bump up against a way of doing life and you collide with different systems and it's, it takes work. For both sides to come together. It's like the little boy who came to his dad one day. He said, Dad, hey, where do we come from? Where do the babies come from? And, and Dad says, oh, well, the, Adam and Eve. And you know, Adam and Eve had babies. And then the, those babies grew up, had babies. And they had some more babies. And so we kept doing that. And, and so here we are. And the, the little boy went to his mother and said, Mom, Dad, Mom, where, where, where do we come from? And, and the mom said, oh, that's easy. Well, you know, well, we started out as monkeys, but then like, you know, over millions of years of evolution and adapting and changing, we, you know, well, here we are. So the little boy goes back to dad and says, dad, why'd you lie to me? And dad said, I didn't lie to you. Your mother was telling you about her side of the family. <laughs> so, see, just to be, you know. And because of that kind of thing, that we can run up into difficult relationships and, and we love our families it's not it's not the problem we love our families but sometimes even in the best occasions on holidays on birthdays on vacations it can feel like family is a little bit more like a Winston Churchill speech you know we shall fight on the beaches we shall fight in the hills we'll fight in the air right and that is because of this truth family is a little bit like fudge mostly sweet but with some nuts okay and the fact is, we all have some crazy makers in our family that we have to learn how to deal with. I just want to ask you by show of hands, don't name anybody, but do you know somebody in your life, seriously, for whom doing life together is just difficult? Do anybody know any difficult people in your life? Great, raise your hand. Good, good. Now, 
by show of hands, are you sitting next to that person? No, don't, just kidding. No, no, don't do that. Don't do it. Yeah. What's wrong with you? All right. The truth is we, we do. We, we have people in our lives who, and it may not be a people. You know what it may be? Whole groups. It could be for some of us, all kidding aside, truly. It could be that we struggle, and we, you may have struggled by bringing it in here, carrying it in your chest or on your shoulders, in your mind, your heart, because you know that there is some tension in your family, and maybe it's between groups of people, or maybe it's between individuals, but you know the frustration and the pain of having this wedge that you can't seem to remove, or this gap that you can't seem to close no matter what you've done or said or tried. It, you, with some people, it's just hard. Family is hard work. Family is hard work. And for some, it's like a group. So it's like, with some, it may be a whole side of the family. And it might be that you married into this family like a long time ago, but maybe that family never really uncircled their wagons and let you in. Or maybe like a, like a family unit. Maybe you, you and some siblings grew up and you all got married, and, and yet one of your siblings married someone, and after they got married, they started preferring time with his spouse or her spouse's family and not yours, and it's created a thing, right? And now, is this our year to do vacation or is it next year? Do we rotate? Who's doing Christmas? Because you did Thanksgiving and now it's our turn, right? You're not spending enough time with us. Am I talking to anybody? See, sometimes it's whole sides of family. Sometimes it's like a family unit. And then there's some that we have a problem with just individuals. And you know who I'm talking about. People who, well, maybe, maybe you know someone who is either self-centered, complaining, manipulative. Maybe it's somebody who is passive-aggressive, right? Well, you can eat that if you want to, but I made this other thing over here. Or maybe they're not passive-aggressive, but they're aggressive-aggressive, right? Just run up in your face. Or maybe it's somebody who triangulates and is always pitting one part of the family against another. Or maybe it's just somebody who can't seem to show up emotionally vacant or maybe it's somebody else who's difficult who who they do show up but they don't go away <laughs> and they're like like parasites and they just suck the life out of the room and out of you they're what max lucato refers to as uh, missionaries of misery people who are sent into your world just to make you crazy All right now i want to talk about that a little bit for the next few minutes but before I do, you know I have to give a disclaimer, a little bit of a uh, proviso, a kind of a caveat. The crazy makers, it could be you. Come on. It could be me. It's a little bit like the, the man whose wife was losing his hearing, or her hearing, and and he went to the doctor and said to the doctor, my wife can't hear me anymore. She's, not, she, she's losing her hearing. The doctor said, here's what I want you to do. Go home, stand behind her, say something. And then if she doesn't respond, stand a little bit closer and then say it again. If she can't hear you, keep standing closer and closer. And then that way when she finally hears you, we'll have some idea about how serious the problem is. So he goes home and he says, honey, stands behind her. Uh, what's, what's for supper? Nothing. She didn't say anything. So he stands a little bit closer. Honey, what's for supper? No answer. Still a little bit closer until he's like three or four times closer and closer. He's like inches away from the back of her head. And she says, honey, what's for supper? And she turns around finally and says, for the 11th time, a meatloaf. 
It could be you. It could be me. But we're not going to talk about that today because that could be a whole series of sermons. What we really are going to talk about is what if it is the other person? What about the crazy makers who push you to the very edge? Because I am absolutely convinced, my sisters and brothers, that there is a way for us to do family and engage in relationships in which you remain steady of heart. Where you enter your family relationships with maturity and confidence and are not sucked into the crazy. There is a way. And you know what it begins with? It begins this way. It begins by remembering you are not alone. You're not alone. Everybody here knows what it's like to have to try to manage a relationship. And for some, it's harder to manage. Family is hard work. You're not alone. Everybody knows somebody like this, including, including Jesus. Do you know that in the Gospel of Mark, we're told that at one point in his life, Jesus' family, his mother, his brothers, his sisters, you know, he did have siblings. She went on to have some other kids, you know. His mother, brothers, and sisters actually at one point think that he has lost his mind. I mean, like really lost his mind. We read about it in chapter 3. Listen to these words. Then he went home. Well, that's the first mistake. Can you really ever go home? Not the same. Well, he went home. And, and, and the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. Literally, in that text, they, they literally believed that he had gone crazy. The way the language is in the text, the nuance in the, in the, in the Greek text, it implies a kind of mental illness. It, it implies that he had, he had lost all sensibilities about where he was. He was talking about things like, well, let's talk about the kingdom in brand new ways. The way he talked about theology, the way he talked about politics, the way he addressed everything was so uncomfortable for people that they thought he was crazy. He was casting out demons and was being accused of working for the other side, another you know, demon or Satan, you know, Beelzebub. And so the family comes to rescue him because you're going to embarrass us. we got to live in this town. This is not how we roll as a family. See, do you know, it's interesting that the text begins with, then he went home, because do you know that even at home, among the people who know you best and should understand you the best, it's possible for the ones who are closest to you to literally not even get you. To not get it. To not understand you. They think they do, but they, they can miss it by a mile as they did with Jesus. Do you know, several years ago, I'm with my dad, Laura, and I went with my dad and his wife on vacation. It was years ago. And we got in, this, in, in his car. We decided to take his van down to New Orleans. And... Listen, my dad and I have a lot in common. We, we love the same music. We have a love for this nation, for America. We, we love our family. We, we have the same kind of sense of humor. But we have nothing in common politically. Not one thing. I know some of you are like, well, I like him already. <laughs> Just calm down. Several years ago, 
Several years ago, we go on this vacation. We get in his van. And on the back of his van, he has this big sticker, a bumper sticker for his person. He's running that, that year. And it says, vote for fill in the blank. I knew that, so you know what I did? I got a sticker for the other person. And I scotch taped it on top of his when he wasn't looking. We went miles. We got gas at the gas station. He saw it and he lost his marbles. Can I just put it that way? But instead of giving up, you know what he does? He's like, I can't believe you do. How can you possibly think this way? Instead of giving up, when I wasn't looking, you know what he did? He took my sticker off. He put it on the other side of the, the window. So there's his sticker. Here's my sticker. And then he put one underneath it that he made himself. The candidate's name. And then he stinks. <laughs> and we're going miles and miles down the road. And I'm driving this leg. And, and I'm looking. And, and people are at one point looking at us. You know? Another point. You know, kind of staying away from us. And it's interesting because people who you're closest to, you can actually say, I don't have any idea. How do you possibly think this way? How, we, we share DNA. I mean, we share DNA. How can you think this way? And they're saying to you, I know. How can you think this way? It's possible to be at home and be missed. So you know what Jesus does about this? And it's, it's, it's frustrating. It's difficult. It's difficult because you want to be known and you want to know. But you know what he does about this? The scripture continues. So then his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Do you know what Jesus does right then? He doesn't shame his family for not understanding him. He doesn't ridicule them for not being ready to be where he is at that moment. He says, look, my family are those who see me and hear me and understand me. My family are those who perceive the will of God and do it. And he allowed there to be some space. I'm going to call it some space for grace. He gave them some space for grace because Christ understood that God is not finished with them yet. It's possible that the one who is most difficult for you is still being transformed. I mean, is it possible that the one who gives you the biggest heartache, is it possible for you to find a, a way to leave some space for grace for them? As I think about the way Jesus handled his own family of origin when they weren't yet ready, I think about something I heard years ago that transformed how I think about relationships. You can't expect gallon-sized love from a pint-sized person. Now, that's not being cruel or mean or derogatory, but let's just analyze that for just a moment. Some of us have the capacity to love with like a gallon size. Some of us have the capacity and the desire to love that full. One, five, ten gallons worth of love ready to give. 
ready to relate, engage, have conversations, spend time together. And for some of us, we desire that with all of our relationships, 10 gallons worth of love. But there are those with whom we're doing life who their only capacity is a pint. And it may be for a million reasons. It could be because of the way they're wired. They don't think about life the way or orient to life the way you do. It could have been that they were wounded. It could have been that something jilted them or halted or arrested their development. Somehow, it could be a million reasons. But regardless of the reason, what you're dealing with in that frustration that you feel, is it, it may be that you want a gallon's worth of love with this relationship. It could be so much better. We, why can't we just talk about this or spend this kind of time with one another? Why don't you show up? You can have a gallon in your heart. But if they only have a pint to give, they may be actually giving you everything they have to give. They literally may be giving you the very best that they have to give. And, and when you feel like it's not enough, you're frustrated because like, seriously, is this it? And they're frustrated because like, what? How, you want too much. In the book, Irregular People, author Joyce Heatherly, she tells about a, about a woman in her 30s who found out she had breast cancer. And she was scared. The doctor said a mastectomy is, is going to be the best course of action. She wanted to talk to her mother about it. So she had up, set up lunch with her mother, and, and they were having a nice lunch, a couple salads, just enjoying conversation. And then the daughter says, true story, the daughter says, this is not a joke, by the way, I've told some jokes today. This is a real story. She says, I, Mom, I've been diagnosed with um, cancer, and the doctor says that I need a mastectomy to remove the problem. And the mother who was eating never looked up from her salad. Mom, did you hear me? Did you hear what I said? I'm, I have to have cancer. I have cancer, Mom. Did you hear me? She shakes her head, nods her head, and then she says, you know, your sister has the best chicken enchilada recipe, and I, I thought we might make that this weekend because we're getting together. Is that, does that sound okay with you? And that was it. And she was giving, for whatever reason, all that she could give, and it wasn't enough. And how painful it is to want something more from the other, and, and, and they may be unable to give it. You know, we talk about the disappointment gap, right? You know that the disappointment gap is, is that space between what we expect about a thing and then the reality of that thing. And the space between what we expect and, and reality is the disappointment gap. And some of us have this huge disappointment gap in the relationships we have with people because we expect so much more and they may not even be able to give a fraction of what we're wanting. So what do you do? With Jesus, he modeled you give space for grace. And for Jesus, it worked. Do you know what happened? Ultimately, as we read in the book of Acts, and we read in 1 Corinthians, and we read in Galatians, his family of origin jumped on board and were part of the ministry. His mother was in the movement. His brother, one of them, became an apostle. Another brother became a missionary. It just wasn't time. God still had work to do in them, but giving space for grace allowed Christ to not live with chronic disappointment, 
allowed him to expect what he needed to expect, embrace them where he could embrace them. Here's the problem. You and I want to change people. We want to change the ones who, who we love and who aren't loving like we would love. Here, if you could just see your life through my eyes, we say. But you know what Jesus did? Instead of saying, I want you to see life through my eyes, Jesus saw life through their eyes and gave them space for grace. And in time, their eyes were open. What if you and I are called not to change people because that's God's job, but rather to see life through their eyes? Leave space for grace. Now, you say to me, well, Sean, that makes sense. That, that may be uh, comforting. That could give a sense of maybe perspective that helps me put kind of a frame around my pain. It helps me keep it in perspective so that I don't expect gallon from those who can only give a pint. But help me out here, Sean, because what am I supposed to do, literally? Because, like, Thanksgiving's coming. In a few months, Christmas, holidays, birthdays are coming. And Thanksgiving comes, and, and Thanksgiving, see, at, at Thanksgiving, you... you Crazy gets served up with pumpkin pie, you know, Thanksgiving. What am I literally supposed to do because there are those who will be with me at this next event or at this next thing that I'm going to do who they know, how to, they know how to punch my buttons. They know how to pull my triggers. They know what's going to set me off. What do I literally do? In the early part of the 20th century, there was a, uh, a pioneer in aviation. His name, the pilot's name was um, Frederick Page. Frederick Page, true story. In the early part of the 20th century, he gets on this plane in Saudi Arabia now, and, and he's traveling across the peninsula. And he's by himself. It's an old, antique, you know, plane, small, but he's by himself, and he's flying across this great distance. And he begins to hear on board the rustling and the gnawing sound of a large rat that had gotten on board. A, a large rat, he could tell by the sound of the gnawing that this is a rodent, and it was chewing through the materials. It was drawn on from some cart food that they had, cargo that they had brought on board, that he had brought on board. And so it obviously drew the, the rat on before takeoff, and now he's chewing his way through parts of the plane, and now he's getting close to some of the controls in the cockpit. And he begins to think, if this thing chews through the controls in the cockpit, I will, lose, I will lose control. There are some things he can chew through that will actually threaten my capacity to, to run and land this thing. And so what am I going to do? Then he remembered that uh, rats can't breathe at a certain altitude. And he began to climb to an altitude so high that the gnawing began to stop. And when he finally landed at his destination, he found a big dead rat. Sometimes there are those who will gnaw at you, and they know what to do to set you off. They will gnaw, 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 and you have to elevate. You have to climb to an altitude where that kind of gnawing can't get to you. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You go home, you make a visit, you go on vacation, and if you are a CNN watcher, they'll keep Fox News on just to spite you. If you're a Fox News watcher, they're never going to turn it off of CNN. Oh, look at this, great reporting, non-biased, you know. They know how to pull your strings and punch your buttons. And you know what it is? It's gnawing. It's gnawing. Oh, I'm just going to climb. 
Sometimes with some, we have to climb to a certain altitude so that those who are gnawing can't survive at a certain high level. What's that look like? Well, I got a verse for you. Comes to us from 2 Timothy. Listen to these words. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Isn't that beautiful? Must be patient with difficult people. Sometimes it means you give space for grace. Other times it means you climb to an altitude where you refuse to even engage in the trap of ridiculous, ignorant conversations, right? That's going to draw you into an argumentative spirit, right? So how do you do that? I have one suggestion. Remember who you are in Christ. In weddings and in premarital counseling, I will use a verse. I even used it last weekend with Pastor Annie's wedding. This weekend I used, uh, just yesterday here in the sanctuary, it's it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to these words. But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. You know why I share that with spouses-to-be, husbands and wives-to-be? Because I look them in the face on their wedding day, and here's what I tell them. The single greatest thing you can do to become the husband and wife you want to become is to chase after Christ. Because if every day you find some moment in that day to gaze upon Christ, to look into his loveliness, his beauty, his, his power, his, his sense of compassion and love, then here's what happens. If you spend time fixing your gaze upon Christ, something happens in you. You become aware of the absence of all those qualities that are so lovely in him. You become aware of moments when you're selfish, moments when you have been mean-spirited, moments when you have spoken uh, in uh, hurtful ways, and you begin to transform because of it. And then I look them square in the face, and this is what I tell them. Because I promise you there will be moments when you look at the other person you're married to, and all you will see is the clay, the brokenness the problems, the mistakes, the shortcomings. But if you can practice every day looking at the, the treasure that is in you, the Christ in you, the hope of glory, then you'll be more readily able to recognize the Christ in you. And if you can recognize the Christ in you, in your clay jar, you can begin to recognize the Christ who is in their clay jar. And on the days when all you see is the cracked pot, the the, the marred clay, the broken pieces of who they thought they were, then you can look past the clay and see the treasure. And I just want to suggest that if there is a difficult person in your life, no matter what you've tried to do before, you can't seem to get to a place where, where love seems natural, where, it, where, it's, where it's amiable, where, where you're getting along, I want to suggest you do this. Chase Christ in you. Spend so much time gazing in Christ from day to day to day that you begin to recognize the Christ that sometimes is hiding in the clay jar of the one who is so difficult. 
And maybe it begins with prayer. Maybe you pray, Lord, I am praying today for this person. And I'm holding this person in all their clay jar up to your glorious light. And I pray that your light would shine through the cracks in them. Because I see the cracks, I see the problems, but I want you to shine through them so that I may see you. Because I recognize some days it may be me. But show me, Lord, that there is something redeemable in them and something that you're still working. Teach me to give space for grace in them so that you can do what only you can do. And as for me, I lay down my desire to change them. I relinquish my, my fixation with trying to make everyone see life through my eyes. Show me how to see life through theirs so that I might be found behaving like you. Let's pray. And God, we do pray this prayer. We do pray that as we think about those close to us in, in our families and are mindful of those who are, who are difficult, with whom we have a difficult relationship, we hold them up to your light and we pray that you would show us something not only about them, that we have never seen. But show us something about ourselves so that we ourselves may posture in a way that allows your love to love them through us. Because there are days when we have nothing left in us to give. We are done. We are frustrated there. They, we've reached the end of our rope with them. On those days, we pray that the Christ who is in us might love the Christ who is in them through us. We pray all of these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.